Welcome to the Arrest All Mimics podcast with your host Ben Talon. Konnichiwa and welcome to Arrest All Mimics. My name is Ben Talon. I am your host. This is the Original Thinking and Creative Innovation podcast. How are you all doing? I hope you're all good. Um, my body clock's back on UK time. I thought it might take longer, but um, got back in Monday night from a, a ridiculously good trip to Japan. Who's been? Who's been to Japan? Who's got some stories? Who's got some pictures? I absolutely love that country. I went out there to promote my book, which has just been given the full translation and publication in Japan through EG Press. So Champagne and Wax Crayons is now officially in Japanese, which is crazy. And it blows my mind because there's stories in there about my childhood and growing up drawing and using wax crayons and all that. And to think that people in Japan are reading this stuff is uh, is totally mind-boggling, but very, very exciting, let me tell you that. Uh, there was lots of promotional activities going on out there. I did a live talk in Osaka, along with a live drawing session at Standard Bookstore. If you ever go out there, head down. Must go and check it out. It's absolutely brilliant. I'm writing about it in my next Design Week piece. Um, what can I say? The Japanese people just seem to do things a little bit better when it comes to this kind of stuff. And thinking forwards, um, I can't help but feel a little dismayed at our bookstores in comparison. We've got some good ones, but particularly Standard was very much aimed at creative people. It was independent books, design books, creative stuff. I guess it's a little like magma books over here, but like 10 times the size. With full restaurant, full cafe, people sat sketching in the whole areas. Uh, it felt like a dusty old bookstore, the way they'd done it. Low lights, really moody, kind of lovely big open plan feel. But also loads of things from craftspeople and from makers. There was uh, pottery in there, there were cups, there were posters, prints. Not just books, they were really ahead of the curve and they'd really found their audience. So I went down there and did a talk. Uh, about 25 people came down, which was awesome, considering I don't really have any presence in Japan at this point. Uh, EG Press were absolutely tremendous in shouting about the book and its release and getting things rolling. Uh, and it sold really well in the first week. It was just a just a visual, a visual stimulation overload in that country. Bear in mind, I don't understand any Japanese. So I didn't know what any of the signage meant, but it all just looked so different and so crazy. And there's so many beautiful book covers and poster designs and exhibitions and just things you see when you're out and about in the streets and it was just a real real boost inspirational wise and for motivation and for new ideas and i got so many pictures i'm going to be creating some works from soon so watch this space um unfortunately thanks to dual dual language barriers i wasn't really able to put together an episode of arrest or mimics as much as i would have loved to um keiseki kawa wonderful illustrator who I did a live interview with in Tokyo to promote the book when I was out there. Go and check out her work. She's absolutely awesome. Um, really refreshing style, really quite different to what we used to see in the West. And I loved checking out her work and meeting her. And she's such a quirky character. And her English was so much better than my Japanese and she was really good. But I think just um, there were a lot of repetition and a lot of uh, struggling to understand the points we were making at some point. So, uh, sadly, I would have loved to release the show and get something out there with Kay, but uh, I'm a lazy Englishman, so my Japanese wasn't good enough. So I do apologise, but the trip was absolutely wonderful, and uh, I'll be looking at doing things like that in the future. If I could ever get hold of someone from Studio Ghibli, that would be absolutely incredible. So, I've banged on about Japan for long enough, but... um, 
the book's out there now. It's out in the UK, so you can pick that up on Amazon at Tate Modern and other bookstores. In Japan, it's out all over the place. It's been really well received and seems to be selling pretty well, so that's all very exciting. But of course, I was also shouting about Arrest on Um And I must start with my wonderful sponsors. So, Illustration Limited. Um, founding sponsor, my agency, representing over 200 brilliant illustrators, animators, set designers, Fashion illustrators, uh, you name it, people doing custom and live work. All sorts going on. Always thinking ahead. A few nice bio videos cropping up on there now, too. People's little promos and things. So go and check out their TV sections and the animation section. Uh, Absolutely loved it. So go check them out, illustrationweb.com. All the portfolios there, all the news section. Do go check out that bit. It's very exciting. So thanks to those guys. Um, Heart Internet, of course. Web tech, hosting, URLs, all that stuff. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant company, looking after the show as ever. Um, I, I thought I should talk about Japan a little bit that, to that end and the way that I was able to connect with some of the people so efficiently. I, I love this I love this kind of uh, mix between global and local. Um, global in the sense I was able to go to Japan. I've got a book out there now. Um, but that book wouldn't have ever happened if it wasn't for my use of social media and meeting the people local who can support you through the tough times, champion you through the good times and share what you're up to. Um, and it's just been so crucial to find that balance all along. So I think it's worth thinking about that. The people who gave me critical feedback on my book early on through Tumblr and things, um, people like Kingsley Nebechi who's been on the show, Kate Madigan, another illustrator who gave me some fantastic positive feedback on my writing, uh, a lady who'd been in editorial in her past in the career, and these were boosts that I never saw coming when I just started to rant on Tumblr, and this has snowballed into this kind of experience now. And then going out to Japan, I was able to email... Um, Keiseki Kawa, as I mentioned earlier, and the publisher, and and just create a dialogue both publicly and privately and make the whole experience more enriching. And I just think that teaches a lesson in any respect. You know, if you're in your local sort of village, go out and meet the local other creatives and you can find bonds there and share ideas, whether it's working together in a space or whether it's just meeting at the pub. So much you can do um, to fuse the two and then take that to a global audience. So I hope that makes some sense. That's courtesy of Hat Internet. My sponsor this week, so thanks to those guys, hatinternet.co.uk. And last but very not least, the brilliant printed.com, who I get all my printed work done with, but more importantly, they really champion the creative industries and look out for this show. They're sharing artists' work, designers' work all the time, so hit them up and I'm sure they'll be interested in putting you on their blog if they like what they see. They also provide over 90 different products, loads of different finishes, matte gloss, you name it, a whole range of different printing types, concertinas, large format, small print, it's all going on. Uh, And I thought I should mention again, Japan, there's this beautiful custom of of showing a lot of respect when you hand over a business card. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm in London, one thing I always do, or anywhere else in the UK, I tend to, because I'm so busy talking to the person when I meet them, they hand me a business card and it gets jammed straight in the back burner without really looking at it. And it only dawned on me when someone told me that in Japan it's very important to hand the business card over with two hands. Show respect, take it all in, make sure you look at the business card properly before putting it away. And it's just common courtesy, really, but uh, it's something that I had to remind myself to do in Japan. And, and it was quite an enjoy. it was quite a nice experience. I think it means a little more, um, you know, and it was very cool. So, on that basis, business cards... 
Printed.com, they do awesome ones. Like I said, a whole range of finishes, all different stuff. Um, it's only The only limitation is your creativity. So check them out for all those products. Very user-friendly interface, very good on the customer service, and really doing a great job of supporting my show. So check them out, Printed.com. Thanks to those sponsors. So returning to the UK, getting my head back in the zone, using all that inspiration and trying to move forward. Today's guest is Nick Chubb. Um, and before I move on to that, I probably should just say, go and check out Kerry Lemon from last week, going down a storm and Laboka following week, uh, the week before, my apologies. Laboka done a range of Penguin book jackets, these sci-fi classic reissues, a real bucket list job for those guys, real knockout story, go and listen to that. And Kerry Lemon, who was also in Japan at the same time, even though we didn't manage to cross paths because we were both running around doing our thing out there, true to form... Um, but Kerry's awesome. She's such an inspiration. She works backwards. She thinks, what do I want to do and who's going to pay for it? She makes it happen time and time again. The lady is a little dynamo and I absolutely love her to bits and you should really go and listen to her show because she's a great person to listen to. Very inspiring, very unique stories. Go and check that out. Um, today, Nick Chubb, The Modern Portfolio. So I do stuff with arts, so I do sometimes promote the show they're a sort of graduate platform for portfolios and uh, helping people get out there into the market and i did an event with them i did a talk at the london design festival recently at the vna with nick chubb who was also doing a talk nick's an industrial designer and we're from the same neck of the woods he's a yorkshireman too and we both ended up in london and we got along well on that night and nick hit on a lot of very good points about um about promoting yourself and the portfolio and the modern portfolio which is essentially you So we're going to get under the skin of that. We're going to talk a little bit about Nick's background and why he's qualified to talk about this. But we're also going to get onto how it's no longer just about the old leather-bound portfolio and taking that in and dropping it off. I don't think it happens so much anymore. These days, we've got to think about Instagram. We've got to talk about LinkedIn. We've got to look at Twitter and we've got to be on Facebook. And we've got to know how to effectively use each of those channels in their own individual, unique way. So I got Nick into the studio and we just sat and we talked about what it means to represent yourself in the modern industry, what a modern portfolio actually is, and how you can achieve a consistency across all these separate brands whilst making them function to their own maximum potential. So it's an intriguing conversation. Nick's done some fantastic stuff. When you say industrial design, he does a lot of product design across medical stuff. He does just amazingly aesthetically designed products. He'll tell you a little more about that on the show, but he's an inspiring fella, and he's really passionate about creativity and ideas and what we can do to take things forward. So he is the man to talk about this stuff. So we get into depth in this episode about the portfolio and uh, and, and being that person all the time and always being on your game. So listen carefully and listen in. It's a really good show, and, uh, and Nick was awesome to spend some time with. So I hope you enjoy it. Get me your feedback on the Twitter, at Arrests or Mimics. I want to hear about your Japanese experiences, if you've gotten it, or why you want to go if you haven't been. Uh, and don't hesitate to suggest people for the shows. Uh, I've had a few good suggestions recently, which I'm looking into and acting upon. But a lot of new listeners, so welcome to those guys. Spread the word. I'm still loving doing this. Um, go and give us a review on iTunes if you get a moment as well. It all really helps. So, without further ado, Nick Chubb. Let's, what's your background, Nick? I forget. Um, you're, you're a Yorkshireman as well, aren't you? I am. <laughs> well, I was actually born in Basingstoke. Yeah. Uh, but moved up to Doncaster when I was five. So, yeah, I'm class myself as an as an all in Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so I, it was product design that I got into, and I never, I never really saw it as a decision, really. And I think a lot of designers think that as well. Is just sort of, I remember being thirteen and just loved 
graphic design first because that's sort of the first thing you're exposed to at school mm. and then when I did product design that kind of all the pieces seemed to fit together in terms of what I enjoyed doing what I was good at and what I thought I'd do so I just yeah I carried on with that yeah and just always, always loved it nice did you go straight into it then did you go straight into employment yeah so that was <clears throat> I'd done product design at GCSE product design at A level product design at university and then on the back of exhibiting at new designers in London um, got a job with Mamas and Papas so designing push chairs and high chairs and toys and cool. nursery products and all that sort of stuff so yeah it was straight out it's funny that world seems so far beyond any of my abilities <laughs> yeah. it's like when I, look, I admire that because I look at I was finding it's one of my favourite bits at the degree shows like I was at new designers this year and last year and it's my favourite I'm always like I like going on the illustration bits and seeing what's coming up, but I'm straight into like the product design bit and the and the interactive design stuff because yeah. that just blows my mind. And I think it's um, really it's just really good stuff. So that well, I don't know. So to go from graphic design into that, like, did you get it? Did you feel a connection with you know once you started to go into the 3D realm and kind of actually see real life products come together? Yeah, that, I mean that's one of the best things is the tangibility of it. Is when you're working in a project and <clears throat> it's been words and conversations and debates about exploring a problem and then when you get to see drawings people start getting excited but then the moment when there's a tangible thing either you know just some sort of rough and ready prototype or a 3d print or something everyone at that point gets mega excited and that's where sort of people who didn't really have opinions beforehand now have an opinion and that's where you can test it, and mm. it's the, the the tangibility of it yeah. that I that I love about it. Yeah, because I guess up until a certain point, you're they're taking somewhat of a leap of faith. I mean, people with more experience will probably be able to see a sketch and know where it's going to go, but others yeah. might panic a little bit. Yeah. I, I, I get it. I said no, but rough sketches for a composition for a magazine. Oh God, it's not going to look like that, is it? It's going to look like your portfolio. Like, yeah. Yes. This is just to show the layout of the page. <laughs> yeah. like, you know, don't, this is not the. This is not <laughs> it's going to turn up like a stick man in pencil. You know. Mm. It's like, <laughs> I think if you're going to work in consultancy, part of being a good designer is your ability to be able to communicate that stuff early on. Yeah. And also communicate the point of what you're presenting. So if it is just about layout, yeah. or it is just about the schematics of something, then you've got to present that in the right way so that it's understood and actually they know instantly that it isn't mm. going to look like that. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. Yeah. I've been in plenty of presentations where, you know, someone's gone, that's not going to be blue, is it? And it's like, <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> or people are talking about materials and, you know, the thing you're actually talking about is, no, this bit's going to be here and it's connected to this and that's all we want you to think about. Yeah. So it's kind of guiding the you know, who you're presenting to on that journey as well. Yeah, that's true. So where are you at now? Where are you working and what kind of level are you at? So I'm now working with IDC, uh, Industrial Design Consultancy, just outside Windsor. And the main, where, where I was before that was designing outdoor gear and adventure products and backpacks and all this sort of stuff. And what I wanted with, what I've got now with IDC is you're not just designing for one brand or a couple of brands and you're not just designing in one sector. It could be working on a medical device, but also, you know, you that same week you're required on a project that's 
you know, some sort of consumer electronic or mm. um, a surgical instrument or, yeah. you know, some specialist piece of industrial equipment or something like that. Yeah. So it's that variety that... Right. Have you got preferences? Is there stuff... I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's some stuff you like more than others, but <clears throat> is there, have you got any fortes or... Um, I love medical devices because I think you get an awesome mix of... The things that I look for in a project is I want it to be... I want usability. You know, there's some products where, you know, there's only so much user interaction in that particular product mm. um, and so much usability because that's one of my main strengths. I love products that have a complexity to them so that your skills in reducing that complexity to something simple, you know, you're able to apply them. Mm. And so when that sort of complexity and something that has sort of multiple parts and a lot going on and where you need to consider ergonomics and usability but then also it needs to look great and you know you need to be profitable for that business yeah having that whole mix of things you usually find that in consumer products consumer electronics and medical devices so that's what I right, okay. tend to like the most that's interesting well what have you got examples of what, what sort of medical devices <clears throat> um, a lot of what I because medical devices take so long to develop, you know, it could take four or five years, depending on the project, to actually get to market. Um, but the design itself has been resolved early on in that process, mm. or at least sort of two years down the line, because you've got to go through all the testing and everything like that. So a lot of it's confidential for a long right, okay, uh, yeah. period of time. Um, <clears throat> but I mean, there's there's been one recently where. I've had to study a surgical procedure and then the device that I'm designing is what a vascular surgeon will be using to, you know, help stitch an artery back together. Fucking and so you've got to <laughs> Yeah. You've got to know what you're talking about with the with the process and the operation. But also because you're coming from it as a designer, you start questioning things mm. that actually the healthcare professionals might not be questioning those things, and you're coming at it from a different angle. Yeah, and so you find little insights and yeah. ways to improve the usability, the ergonomics, and so you must have to collaborate with a lot, a wide range of people, like people in the professions, and, and yeah, I guess yeah. it goes way beyond a team of designers <coughs> sitting around a table. Yeah, absolutely. So every single project you'd talk to. You know, whether that particular product requires a manufacturing process that you don't know about yet or some mm. sort of specialist process. Or it could be um, working with material scientists and you might be dealing with a new material that you, that you don't know of. So, yeah, there's a lot of collaboration, not just designers, but going out there and talking to consumers, users, everything like that. So, yeah, it's very much a people, yeah. a people's job jeez yeah it's, but I mean it's very <coughs> it sounds like borderline science at some point yeah at some point so. I mean my knowledge of biology has gone through the roof since I joined IDC I bet yeah and all these sort of terms and stuff I mean, there's one <laughs> uh, what's it called now continuous ambulatory peritoneal dialysis <laughs> it's something that I'm uh, yeah currently working on <laughs> so brilliant that's amazing and then weirdly enough so we Met discussing kind of portfolios. <laughs> yeah. Despite all that, at uh, the VA, when it would be the talk, 
And um, I thought you had a really good... So what, what is your experience with people and portfolios? Because you went on some really good points in that talk about presentation and things. So yeah. What, so, I mean, where, where did, how did that even come about? How did you end up talking <laughs> about that? So. <clears throat> so I'd worked with Alex Brownless. Yeah. Um, working with Artsthread, doing the portfolio reviews for like the last four or five years. Mm. And from that, he then said, well, actually, can you give a talk at New Designers? And then on the back of that, he said, well, can you give a talk at the V&A for this London Design Festival? And <clears throat> the reason he brought me in for the New Designers portfolio reviews is I, I'd had quite a unique experience because sometimes you get designers who they've landed a job straight after uni and then they might have worked in that for a long time. And that's, you know, some people have just had one job and that's it and so mm. they've never really gone through the whole smashing your portfolio really grinding on it for months improving it getting the feedback um, and I did land a job straight out of new designers but I, I needed to move on from that and so I had a lot of interviews at a lot of different businesses um, you know, there's like Johnson & Johnson, Dyson, Joseph Joseph, um, Cambridge Consultants. There was a lot, of, a lot of businesses in the UK. And from every single one, I learned just a huge amount. And then I got the job at, at Lifemark designing the outdoor gear. And then after designing sort of soft goods and outdoor gear for a while, I knew relatively soon after that I wanted to do a more variety of projects. So then I went through another round of sort of um, landing interviews and and going through that whole sort of job hunt again. And it wasn't sort of other people who might have had a job straight at uni, stayed in that for a while, and then even gone on to another job. The job might have come to them and they've kind of taken it. Mm. Whereas I think my journey was a lot more... It was quite proactive, really, because I kind of decided right, actually now I want to move on and now I'm going to make it happen. Mm. And so just going through that process, getting feedback, um, there was a woman, there's a lady called Amina Horozic, who's a lead industrial designer at Fuse Project, uh, owned by Eve Bahar in San Francisco. And this is like one of the top consultancies in the world. And she wrote a book called Breaking In, where she interviewed the top 100 design directors in the world right now. Okay. And, you know, the book's about 35 quid. So if you're a student in design and you're not buying that book, spending 35 quid, you know, that just seems ridiculous to me not to go and buy that book. Um, And she asked them all the same questions. So she asked them, you know, what do you look for in a a design portfolio? Can you tell us about a portfolio that stood out to you? So what I did was I just wrote her because if she's spoken to the top 100 design directors in the world obviously she's someone to know so I sent her an email and actually managed to Skype her twice for like over an hour really one to one on my own portfolio so I got some really great feedback and sort of lessons and I did that with multiple people in the book as well um, and got feedback and then it's going through that process is then what's allowed me to sort of pass that on to the new designers coming out um, so that's where cool. I think Alex saw that value and then asked me to get involved. Well, absolutely, and that, and that, I mean, that shows some really strong initiative. You know, I mean, 
to you and I, that kind of thing seems second nature. That there's this great resource out there that's that's thirty five quid, which is less than a night out in London. Yeah, and yet the penny pinching you see where people are not willing to invest, and I think you really hold yourself back. You know, that's a yeah. very short term investment for a great thing. Yeah, but to to not just rely on that and to actually go, well, I'm not satisfied with just reading this. I need to know that person and go after them. That's yeah, impressive stuff. You know, and it's like, and I think that's the difference maker between people who make things happen and other people who might sit and wait for it to happen or think that the, the epiphany is going to happen from reading one thing you know yeah which doesn't really happen in the real world maybe it does but not often yeah and then what i'm seeing now is from giving that talk at the vna and at new designers i'm seeing people contacting me who are kind of seeing mm. me as someone that they should know if i'm giving that talk to it's um, I think I've doing been, these talks is quite a new thing for me. So yeah, me too. Um, I, about, about two years I've been doing it now. Um, I love it. It's great. I meet someone yeah. new every time. There's always someone in the audience that, and I love it. I love, I love both sides of it. I don't overlook the value of who might be sitting in the audience, not just where they might go on in the future, but but just what they can offer me. It's like I was sitting after our talk. There was a girl sat in the audience, and she, I think she was, she was leaving college. I think she was sixteen, no, eighteen. Yeah, I think it was 18. Anyway, I didn't ask her, but I guess 18. She was a young lass, just sat there. Uh, she had a really interesting look, and she'd been making notes throughout the, the whole talk, both of our presentations. So I, so I went and sat near her and got chatting, and I said, uh, I asked what the story was. And she told me that um, her parents thought she wasn't motivated enough. But anyway, she'd got a place at the university doing uh, fashion and textile design, and she was going on to do it. And she, she felt like, you know, I don't know if this is the right degree for me, I've committed to this thing now, and all these influences going on. And um, so I said, well, what? I said, you can't know now, it's too early, you're, you know, you're 18, you're, you're probably not going to know until after your degree, that's the top and bottom mm. of it. But everything's, all the boundaries have been broken down now because of tech and digital, so it doesn't matter as long as you get the right core skills out of that. But anyway, I said, what do you do and what do you do in the evenings, what do you do for pleasure on the weekends? And she said, she stopped and thought about it and she said, I, I love UFC at the minute, I love the Ultimate, ultimate Fighting Championship, like, mixed martial <laughs> arts, and it was the last thing I expected her to say. And, um, and I said... Okay, that's interesting. How about, you know, like a textile print of like a, a gnarly knockout, you know, like fist connecting with... And she was like, she just went, yeah, that jaw flying off. And I was like, she just <laughs> went, now we opened something up. Like, and, she, yeah. and she just got... And I love that feeling. And it's like, I didn't expect that encounter to happen after this talk. But what happens is like just going out and being a part of these things. You just don't know what ideas are going to be planted from any encounter with anyone. You know? Yeah. But like you say, but but perhaps more obviously, like you can meet people that have got more experience than you, that whatever, yeah. you know, and, like you say, it's a, it's a great buzz when someone wants to hear from you, but also it's nice. It just creates these mutual relationships. You know? Yeah. The the other thing I think as well is I um, I kind of see it as a bit of a long term game as well because we're adding value to these young students who are sort of eighteen to twenty two, let's say. But those people are the future design directors, and for me, I. I'm working with IDC at the moment, doing all these products, and I, my goal, my ultimate goal is I want to own my own design consultancy. And so these people who we're giving talks to, they are the future design managers, they are the future Completely. design directors, yeah. and we're investing our own time in sort of helping them and bringing value to them. They probably won't forget that, and actually you're being seen as an authority in your field to them right now mm. and and it's likely that that'll stick with them yeah um and who are they you know going to turn to or at least reach out to that's it and when I, they're I, older and in positions that actually yeah. 
I've had it happen already. I've had like one girl who we went to two or three years ago. She was in her first year. She developed so much over her degree and went down a, a different route. And she's working at Next now in the homeware department. And I know for a fact that like one or two people at Next have gone and bought my book because she was shouting about it in the office. You know, oh, she was right, like, yeah, "This yeah. is awesome. I love it." You know, and and I hope to have no other reason in that I care about the creative industries and I like to to help if, if I can because other people help me. And it's like, but like you say, that in a in a longer term view, you're just building your network. Yeah, which is awesome. You know, this is great. But so. It's funny because like, with the port- how did you find the portfolio reviews? I, I I really enjoyed it and I found it simultaneously frustrating and there were times when I thought, shit, these guys are really good, like quite inspiring as well. Yeah, yeah. There's ones where I think sometimes, what on earth are the university lecturers telling these students? Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's one, especially in product design, you see. The portfolios are just sort of a render of the final product and then the next page is a render and then the next page is a render and a render and actually, you know, you want to see the process and thinking um, and the development and I I spoke to so many people over the last few years who their their lectures are actually telling them, oh no, don't put sketches in. So I think there is is a gap. Mm. Not all, but I think there is a gap where... Um, between what the lecturers are telling the students and what employers are looking to see and I think that gap's only going to get filled when people in industry start putting more time spending more time with young people in industry and with those lecturers yeah and and those lecturers and the institutions as well have got to be reaching out to industry to stay current on what they're talking about Mm. and so I got a call from um, Sheffield Hallam University where I went and they've done exactly that where you know they wanted to, to stay current and stay on point and know that what they're saying is right so you know they reached out to several design professionals to come in and give talks Yeah, and, and I think that's bang on that's what what should be happening oh it is it's, it's probably when I learned the most about the industry and the, and the lifestyle when visiting practitioners came in I was the first guy there with a notebook and practically chasing them out of the building to the car park to, yeah. to get every bit of, <laughs> of, of insight I could because I knew that as much as my tutors were fantastic only I think about 50% of them were working part time in industry others not all because they were full time lecturers and I think you have to have that re- that real world connection yeah. uh, quite early on or as early as possible yeah, so definitely. like you say I, I, I really do think they should be more vocational I applied yeah. for a, well I didn't apply I very nearly went for a course at Leeds College of Art and Design before I went to Bradford to start a graphic design degree um, and it was the advertising course and what I really liked about it is that the tutor he only really oversaw it it was all done in industry so they were all companies that gave these real world briefs that had been oh, done right, okay, in, yeah. in the kind of archive and then the, the actual companies would give them feedback too so it was all done with industry connections and yeah. basically he would, the, the lecturer would just facilitate and give the final feedback which I thought was great because yeah, it's all cool, done yeah. in the real world so it's essentially an apprenticeship yeah Good, but I guess so. So when you went about doing yours, and off the back of reading this book and stuff, like what, what kind of things did you pick up from these guys you were talking to? I mean, where, where, where were you at, and where did you kind of, you know, I mean, between let's say now you were about to go back out of the portfolio and start again, what, what, what kind of advancements have you, have you implemented yeah. in your own stuff? So I think one of the main things I took that I try to pass on to others is a lot of people when they're making the portfolio 
is it's not visual enough and it's very easy to sort of um, you know when you're trying to outline what the project was about what sort of problems that you saw and encountered the insights and then what sort of led to the brief and the research and all that stuff doing that in a visual way and when you're explaining what the product's about mm-hmm. it's it's too easy to just write a paragraph of text yeah. and actually can you be far more creative and do that in a visual way mm. um, which sometimes is difficult yeah. but I think those are the great portfolios and the main shift like I said is not just render and final product and another render but way more weight going into the, the development the sketching the modelling mm. the problem solving yeah um, it's just absolutely key and so that was filling it with way more of that stuff yeah and then the sort of getting into the detail of those pages as well is where most of the time when I spoke to there was another guy called Paul Backett who was design he worked at Seymour Powell and then he was a design manager for Zebra Design he's gone out on his own now but um when I spoke to him and I've spoke to you know other people it's getting into the detail of the quality of those pages as well so just the hierarchy of the sketches and what you're showing and just creating a real sort of elegant and visual appeal to every page yeah. making it impactful and yeah. it's that, that's a, such a skill to, to develop yeah and presentation of course I mean uh, in, in any of our industries in the creative industries you know it's how you present that portfolio you know the, does it look good does it because you could have the best project but if it's just lumped on a page and it doesn't it's not yeah. thought about the overall flow of the portfolio then that's another thing to bring you down isn't it yeah and I think you know you did the podcast uh, with you know Nick from Heart Internet mm. I would say that most people don't just sort of think you're a designer and that's where it ends you should be developing skills in web design and learn how to build a website because mm. you know you're gonna need a web think of yourself more as a business yeah. even if you're applying to work for somebody else if you just treat yourself as building your own personal brand in your own business then you'll set up a website you'll mm. learn about SEO you'll learn more about social media marketing and get yourself out there yeah. and I think if you just learn more about marketing and business yeah. it'll help you yeah. massively and not just sort of seeing it as the quality of each project but actually an exercise that's far bigger than that mm. and there's infinite I, ways to do it these days to tell that story isn't there with yeah. all the tools we have you know with social media at our fingertips now there's so many ways to just drip feed bits of that and, and again it's like how much of your personality do you put into that because some I mean, I've gone down a route where it's very personal written but put everything out there for the world to see and yeah. it's like and, I, and it's definitely the right thing for me because I love the speaking side of it and I love telling that story but others go with more of a mystique thing and more of a, a you know clinical brand but then that's that's all there's so many possibilities to do it but then you, you don't see everyone doing it at the same yeah. time so like you say people I think people just expect to go this is what I am this is what I do take me for that whereas no it's like you like you say you, have to, you do have to build a brand yeah even as an as an individual, I mean, I mean, to, to strip it right down, what what is a portfolio? Because I think too many people see it as what a showcase only of what they've done, but more importantly, it's a statement of intent, isn't it? It's what you can do. I I personally think it's I'd kind of get rid of that word portfolio and just think that you're marketing yourself. And so, actually, if someone goes on your Instagram page that's your portfolio mm. if someone just meets you and have a 
have a conversation that's your portfolio that's you putting yourself out there in the world mm. if someone just stumbles upon you know some, some printed material or you pass them your business card it's this whole bigger picture mm-hmm. and it's every single touch point you could class as your portfolio yeah and so you want as many of those touch points as possible but the quality should always be the same because you'll always be judged by yeah. the weakest one totally um and so there's there's a great guy to check out. It's called Gary, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, um, who's the head of a company called Vayner Media uh, in New York. And he's just you know he's an animal online, yeah. absolute animal. And that's the way you've got to be. And there's there's another guy called uh, Grant Cardone, who's sort of one of the number one sales trainers in the world. He wrote a book called The Ten X Rule, and he's saying that you the way you've got to see it is that when someone thinks illustration or when someone thinks product design they think about you and you should he talks about this word omnipresence and you should just be absolutely everywhere um, it's true it's totally true and sort of the number one way to do that now is content yeah and so I wouldn't just have this one portfolio that's this PDF yeah. that you only put out there to businesses who ask for it or you just send it along in an email mm. I'd get your stuff absolutely everywhere yeah well put it this way yeah. like, I mean I brought this book right and it was like I had the challenge of thinking I had a small publisher no real marketing budget very thin roster of staff so it was up to me to try and think okay with, with very little money how, how do I put this thing out there so I got in touch with a guy who runs a t-shirt printing company and in return for shouting about this brand he gave me six free t-shirts to run like an ad campaign with things from the book that would make people laugh who, who got the angle. Right, okay. uh, I used that. I commissioned a friend just out of college from a video editing course to do a, a, to do a two-minute video trailer which had me in Tesco's rooting through the reduced shelf and things which I talk about in the book. Like oh, The way right. I spent my time working from home was breaking up the, the day by going to Tesco and seeing what's on the reduced shelf at the optimum time. So <laughs> this then was translated across the T-shirt design. What in, was the optimum time? In the video. Uh, well, in Wally Range in Tesco just down the road from me, it was, it was kind of 4 to 5 p.m. It was like a killer time. And like, you just miss the school run and then you just miss people coming out of work. So it was like... And Love then, that. Yeah, they have it all ready for them people and you get in there first. <laughs> <laughs> but then I got the... No one else is talking about that in their book, so they're the unique selling point. So there it was in video format uh, that can be going everywhere, social media. Then T-shirts, um, you know, I had photos of friends' kids picking it up off the shelf, putting that on, on their Instagram. I was always talking about it. And it wasn't exclusive from me. Like you said, It was I cared about it. It was what I was doing. And mm. therefore, people didn't disconnect it. They'd be like, ah, oh, you know, and people wanted to know about it. And it was this great challenge of how do I spread this around with very little money and it, it wasn't that difficult when I put my mind to it yeah you know and like you said the omnipresent thing that's a that's a big thing if you separate your website from your portfolio from the way you talk about things you, you're playing a dangerous game because yeah. you know like you say if people if you want people to really believe in you and what you're doing it does have to be integrated so well like that mm. and I read um, not just putting your own contacts out there uh, putting your own content out there and getting your own followers and building up your email list and stuff like that but engaging with other people's content as well not just focusing on you 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 mm. but I think a good way to do that I watched um, a video recently which there was an angel investor uh, quite well known on, on the west coast of America who was on Gary Vaynerchuk's podcast show and he was talking about be when people scroll through comments on someone's feed where it could be a very well known um, designer or something like that he's saying ask the most intelligent question 
and be the most intelligent question in that post and actually engage in other people's content mm. and you'll then be associated and if you know you want a following and you want a particular type of person to be engaging with your content then go and find someone already that those that has those followers yeah. and normally that's a, a good way to sort yeah. of build that and that for me the main the main ways that I'm that my content is being engaged with I've found that actually Twitter isn't, for industrial designers, isn't huge. And so you're not going to be massive on absolutely every social media channel. Yeah. Um, but particularly for, for product design, I've found Instagram. But then also my posts that I write from my blog, I share into LinkedIn groups and specific design mm. groups. And each one I'm doing is sort of getting over well over 100 likes and about 30 comments on each one. And so getting some really great engagement. But then if you looked at Twitter, there's not much there. So sometimes you're not going to be absolutely... It's totally true. I find the same thing. Everything. I find Facebook's tough because it's preaching to people who already know about you. So it's just it tends to be just a, something that I keep ticking over and then putting the odd more like that and post on there. But like yeah. I say, Instagram's very visual, so it really suits what I do. Twitter's good because the way I've set myself up with this show and with the book, so I can continue that storytelling on there and, and engage yeah. with other people. So there are a lot of conversations that happen there. Mm. But like you say, yeah, it is it's about choosing your battles because if you just try and be good at everything, and that's when does that ever work with anything? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, you know. So I, what one thing I found great about what you said in your talk was, um, if I can't see it, you can't do it. Oh right, yeah. Which is it's it's so simple, but I, I hadn't really I had thought of it like that. I knew. You know, not to not to go out there saying I could do something I couldn't, or trying to you know it's it's in the way that there's no point in me trying to tell someone about an illustration. Yeah, I have to show them. Yeah, absolutely. And for the same yeah. reason, our tutors will discourage us from using text in our illustrations if it's like an editorial piece because it the whole function of that the the article is the text that's telling us that. Yeah, it's up to you to to condense that into this powerful illustration that might make someone stop on that page or make yeah. that reading experience and that's the skill it's a visual. difficult thing to do is purely be visual mm. and you know you'll always want to write a big paragraph explaining things but yeah you've got to assume especially in a portfolio that nobody's going to read anything that's you know it. the speed at which people are flicking through it it's sort of next yeah. next next oh that looks alright next yeah. next nah shit next yeah. good delete yeah. You know, you've got to make impact and nobody's going to read anything, so that's why you've got to sort of sum up the project. Yeah. And how long, do, I mean, how long do people have? I've never had a meeting with a person that I've never met before, like an art director um, at a newspaper, for example, that's, that's gone on longer than five minutes. It's generally two, three minutes in a foyer where they'll go, cheers for coming in, yeah, love it, that's cool, like that. Nice, we'll be in touch. So <laughs> yeah. they don't have time to read anything. Like you yeah. say, it's, it's got to, if it's just a thumb flick through it once, still got to tell your story so that's a tough yeah. challenge and that's why it has to be so visual and, and a degree of consistency across your brand as well yeah you know and like you said, and I mean to that point it's like you know I, when I got asked to do painted lettering the first time in my head I knew I could do it struggled first few times it was much tougher than I'd given it credit the simplicity wasn't um, you know it wasn't simple at all like most things that are simple <laughs> it was very difficult and but once I'd done that I thought okay I can do this I can, I can do loads of other lettering but it wasn't there in the portfolio. So to your point, if it's not there, it's not seen. Yeah, they're not going to trust you can do it. You have to show it, don't you? So yeah. Don't go, so I guess your point. I mean, what is your point with that? Don't go in saying I can do this <laughs> if it's not there. Yeah, but the other thing is, 
not just sort of saying you can do it and it not being there, but because a lot of the time you'll be sending this through an email, there's sometimes where you've got so many skills that you're not even talking about that, mm. you know, you should If you know that a particular job requires the skills you've got, you should be making a list of those skills and making sure that your portfolio shows them. Mm. Um, yeah, like you said, if you don't do it, then yeah. they're never going to know how yeah. else are they meant to know yeah. that, what the you're whole, capable it's, again, of. Again, it's the whole thing of I always assumed that every art director would have the vision to look at one style you know, piece, like say a magazine article or an ad campaign, and go, yeah, that'll work on an album cover. They don't. And it's not, it's not, that's not a dig. I'm not saying they don't have the vision or the education to do that. Sometimes that is the case. But, but generally, they're just very busy people. They don't have time to sit there dissecting what you do and, and applying it to their world. Yeah. It's much easier for them to go out and find a person who's already doing what they want to see. So yeah. it's like, you know, again, you have to showcase everything that you want to do. It's, that making, it's making your brand that statement of intent. Where do I want to go? Yeah. Because for years, I, at any point, I could have kind of gone off track and started doing more corporate stuff for quicker money. But I always knew I had this uh, sort of slightly more edgy style that was more young and contemporary. Yeah. And they were the clients I wanted to reach. So I held out and always shaped my brand. I always knew, I never had this long term master plan, but I always knew who I would like to work for, the top brand that, that fit my style. Yeah. So I never put things in my portfolio that didn't adhere to that. And now I, I enjoy, I'd say, you know, 19 and 20 jobs uh, I love because I've reached a point after eight years where I'm getting those clients now. Yeah. Um, but then that was always a very conscientious thing. It wasn't that they fell into my lap, you know. I yeah, that's, I think that's rare because doing those portfolios at new, uh, reviews at new designers, I think so many graduates are coming out, and there's no confidence there, and they're saying things like, "Oh, I thought I'd put," even product designers saying, "Oh, I thought I'd put a bit of graphic design and branding in, just in case they might want to see it." Well. <laughs> No, just if you don't want to do that <laughs> stuff and you want to be a product designer and develop products, yeah. don't be doing it saying just in case they might want to see it. Yeah. You should know what they want to see and whatever you love doing and that's what you want to do. Just mm-hmm. Especially when you're first applying when you come out, just have yeah. the confidence to just show exactly the type of stuff that you want to be doing. Yeah, and um, if you're a specialist, be, be a specialist. Don't be afraid to eliminate all else, you know, because there's yeah. something to be said about that. Yeah, you know, I mean, some people are quite versatile. Others are very much known for what they do. Mm. They do one set thing. They do very well at it, and they tend to pick up a lot of work. You know, and, yeah. Uh, that's a scary prospect when you're starting out because you know you do you do think like you say. I can see why people do that. I can see why people make these errors early on because the confidence doesn't come hand in hand with graduation, does it? You know, yeah, you, you tend to be a bit broken. And normally the things that have been, the, normally the things that people are putting in to say, you know, just to show I can do it, or just in case they might want to see it. Yeah. Normally that'll be the shittest thing in your portfolio. Mm-hmm. It'll be what you're judged on, and you probably won't get further in the application process because yeah. you've got that in there and yeah, bringing it all down. Yeah. 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 And I, I always make that point in in my talks about the portfolios is that you know. It's all about quality and quantity of projects doesn't really matter too much. You know, if you show something that is awesome and just showed one thing, mm. then that you'd probably get brought in for interview. But if you showed one thing that was awesome, one thing that was good, one thing that was average and one thing that was pretty shit, you've just brought yourself down so much and so 
you know, even if you yes. just show one or two things that are absolutely awesome, they're only looking at it, trying to look for, you know, enough just to say, right, let's bring him in for interview. Yeah. And it's just creating enough intrigue mm. to make that decision. Yeah, and they want to get an idea of... You don't have to tell your full story no, about you absolutely every project. No, and they every want to get an idea of what you're about, you know, uh, are you a creative thinker, what, where you want it to go, what have you done? So there's a the number of things they're trying to get from that, but... You say if you wore it down with a, a bad range of things, and especially if you know it's bad, I think you said in your talk like, <laughs> yeah. the amount of people that apologize for things in their portfolio, which is ridiculous. Because if you're not confident, <laughs> why should they believe in it? Yeah, I remember you were saying about someone passing your business card and saying, Oh, yeah, sorry, the picture on it's a bit shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. Well, why on earth have you printed it then? Yeah, and the, the thing that got me is I really liked the image, so <laughs> immediately they made me look for what was shit with it, and I was like. I liked it. I thought it was a nice abstract image. It suited what they had told me they were setting out to do. So I thought, don't do that. Just give me it. Just give me it. Like, even if, oh, God, yeah. If you think it's bad, change it. Like, yeah. why are you doing that? You know, this should be the best of you. Like, yeah. <laughs> it is amazing, though. Like, and like you said, people are, oh, this is just something from my first year that I've just left at the back. Yeah. Like, tell me why. <laughs> no. <laughs> it is funny. <laughs> but like, yeah, I think that comes to that sort of not a lot of confidence either, sort of apologising for things because yeah. they probably actually might have thought that that picture was good, yeah. But then just on giving it to someone, a little bit worried of what they might think mm. and, and apologising. Yeah, yeah, it's that thing of uh, hierarchy as well comes into play, doesn't it? I mean, the amount of people I put on a pedestal, and I've, I've told the story before, but like one art director I met for the first time and really big, he's big fellow like kind of towering over me he was at a magazine I really wanted to work for and you know I'm really good mates with the guy now but you know three weeks after after going into his office and kind of shitting myself and uh, you know this is a client I respect I seen him like sick on his shoes after a night out you know like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden I'm like okay he's just like me he graduated he got a job we're all in the creative industries and yeah. all these guys are mate and he's recommending me to other people so often yeah okay you're starting out and they've got experience on you but you still should be going in there as a professional, someone that, that that can be seen as a you know yeah as someone they respect too. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, because yeah. the other one was the cringeworthy comments. Remember that? Uh, there's a slide I do in the talk about portfolios about just the number of ridiculously cringeworthy lines and comments that grads come out with. Yeah, and it just makes you feel sick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, the one. Huh? The example I give is one intern he'd written, um, I know creativity like the flavour of my favourite ice cream. It's just like, <laughs> what are you doing? Oh my <laughs> Do you know what God. I mean? Like if you're taught, if you're applying <laughs> to a professional agency with that sort of line and you know, these jobs are client facing. Oh my god. You're dealing man. with people, you're dealing with clients. And if brand. you think that's acceptable to say to an agency to get a job then, you know, that's like David Brent. It's <laughs> yeah. so good. Oh god, I was watching uh, Sky Sports recently, and Gary Neville was on there. And he was getting annoyed about like Manchester United, and he went and he just spewed out this ridiculous analogy. And he went, you know, he goes, he's got coma and he's got a Sunday roast, and he goes, and he's just pounding it on a plate and just pouring gravy over the top. And the other pundits looking at him, going, "What are you?" <laughs> He could have just said he's got a lot to work with and he doesn't know what the best fit is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you need some corkers. Have you seen, uh, do you ever see Agency Wank? 
No. What's that? It, it got shut down because one guy got so angry at being featured on it. It's like it was a Tumblr blog that some guy had set up that just went off and got really popular. And he was he used to basically extrapolate those lines from agencies' websites. Oh, right. You know, we are the future. We are not a designer. All, all that stuff, like the bollocks that people put, yeah. like the really arty kind of stuff. Just let your work talk for itself. Yeah, he would collate all the best stuff. And one like, Scottish guy went bananas. He saw he'd been featured on there and he like, started sending him threats and stuff. Like, he, he really <laughs> took exception to it, so he had to, like, he had to shut it all down. That's <laughs> ace. <laughs> But he's still up there, the archive's still there, it's well worth a look, it's so good. <laughs> Agency wank. <laughs> it's, I do like that. It's pure gold. Oh, God, yeah. So, I mean, like, yeah, like you say, it's just, the number's not, not the issue, is it? I've got, people ask me that a lot, actually. Like, what, how many images should I have in my portfolio? And I'm yeah. like, I don't know. What are you wanting to say? What, why, where are you wanting to go, you know? Um, I mean, okay, you don't want three I mean, maybe that could work if it's the right thing and it's so impactful and it's so good yeah. but, but essentially I mean I don't know I always sort of say ballpark between 20 and 30 but uh, what does that mean because there's so many different <laughs> yeah. disciplines and different, different fields I'm talking as an illustrator or a graphic designer yeah. but it depends what you're doing you know Yeah. who knows but, but for, for product I'd say sort of like five to six projects yeah. if you're sending it as a PDF I think yeah. if you're doing a website you can and get under the skin, get under the skin of that as well. I guess yeah. you know that, that allows. I suppose that number allows you to, like you said, show the sketches and the thought process, which, yeah. which particularly in product and in the industrial design world, is is you want to see that yeah. stuff because you're going to have to do all that. Yeah. The other, the other thing is that when you start a job at an agency straight out of university, you're <laughs> you're not um, going to be sort of making well you know different jobs are different things but you are going to be doing a lot of the groundwork of these projects well, and yeah. so it's the real process stuff that they want to see because that's the stuff you're going to be doing that's the day to day work isn't it yeah exactly so you're not going to be doing renderings a lot of the time um, mm. all this sort of polished stuff you're going to be doing the sketch work, the problem solving, yeah, that's the sort of stuff you will be doing early on in your career. So that's yeah another reason why you want to be showing it because that's likely the, the well, sort it's of true. Work you'll be doing. That's that's a tendency, isn't it? The um, the way the way um, people kind of polish stuff and spend hours agonising over this showing only the final thing and the scared. It's like they're scared yeah. to, to reveal their soul almost. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I think there's um, another thing that. Gary Vaynerchuk says, and and a lot of other people say it as well, because these are sort of like world leaders in, in marketing at the moment. Yeah. And he uses the term, he says, document, not create. And it's about taking people on this journey. And if you're just documenting what you're doing, I've seen a few people on Instagram doing it who are still at university, and their sort of final major project, they're just documenting everything, taking a quick snap and uploading mm. it to Instagram. And it's really nice to see all the sort of rough and ready stuff yeah. compared to just the final images at the end. And doing that, you will um, build an audience and people will get to know you, know your projects, know the way you think. Mm. Um, well, they, they do. The process. They, I've certainly noticed a higher degree of, um, of engagement with people and clients 
through doing that. I mean, like I've been doing this for, I've just done them all today. I've got the last day of a four day sort of short tour with G Star Raw clothing brand doing like live customization yeah. of their clothes in store, which is a whole new thing for me. But just by showing the first mark in store, talking about, you know, this was last week's stuff, I'm doing this later today, and yeah. and showing the shot of the other guy I'm working with doing his thing, and, that, and people are like, oh, people are getting into that because it's this four week journey, and I'm, I'm not just showing. Once upon a time, I would have just gone straight to my portfolio and lumped it on right at the end of the tour and gone, yeah. I've just done this. But, yeah. Know, but you've got a very limited lifespan then of that, haven't yeah. you? It's, you know, it's, it's good to have that permanently there in your portfolio, but like you say, now we're blessed with all these free social media channels that can show everything. You can show, you could be sitting outside having a brew and showing that part of it. Well, you know, yeah. It depends on how you've you... You've got a media rep- channel in your pocket. That's the thing, yeah. yeah. Which is, yeah, unbelievable, really. There's, a, there's another, there's a guy called Seth Godin, Who's, you know, just so many people would would say he's sort of the greatest marketing mind on the planet. And if you look at any sort of business or marketing book, it will have a quote from Seth Godin on the front. And if it doesn't, the author definitely wanted one from him. And um, and he talks about this cycle of attention and trust. And he's saying that, you know, you need to get how sort of marketing was done in the past was people would spend a lot of money and think of new ways to disturb people. Mm. And now you've got to win that attention, but people are a lot more savvy, and not just win the attention, but to engage them over a long period of time, you've got to build trust. And so there's this cycle of attention and trust, but how do you get someone to trust you without first getting their attention? Mm. But how do you get someone's attention if they don't trust you? Um, And the number one way and there's other people there's another guy called Daniel Priestley who he wrote a book called Oversubscribed and another one called Key Person of Influence and he's they're talking about this authority marketing that you should be putting content out there and giving value to others and investing in others first Mm. and that's what will get the attention but also you know you're doing that for free and putting little bits of content that help other people putting it out there will build that trust over time and whether that person does business with you one month from then or five years down the line, you know, sometimes that that trust cycle, you'll have to take them on a journey for a suspended period of time. Yeah. But it's very true. Actually, I have a lot of clients who I can't, I mean, I got one two weeks ago that I contacted seven years ago. <laughs> he was like, Oh, really? Yeah, right at the start. She's been in my database since day dot, and uh, I've always sent stuff, never, never had a reply, but always kept on the mail because she'd never told me to fuck off. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and until that point, I always keep festering, you know, and it's like, um, Yeah, they're out of the blue. She got in touch going, I know it's been a while, but we just launched a new title. It's much more up your street. Got a couple of commissions if you're up for it. I got like, two features in one mag, and it was like, Nice, that's cool. Yeah, she, yeah. she meant it all along, and she's like my stuff, and she's got me on file. <laughs> that's quality. And, and you do have to like, and obviously she's watched the journey, you know, and all that, and always kept her updated. So sometimes you you really do have to play the long game. It doesn't mean that people aren't aware of you. But, and yeah. again, that, that goes back to your point of the consistency. I said in my talk at that event that I get sick of kind of you know someone will follow me to be such and such design, and I'll be like, oh nice, let's have a look what they're doing. So all selfies and cats and whatever else, yeah. you know, and I think. I, all right, lovely, you know, sure, that's up to your mates on your Facebook or whatever, but I don't want to see that. I don't follow you now. And it's like, yeah. and immediately I've switched off from... Yeah, I, yeah, I do the I same. I don't take you that seriously. If you're going to have design handle and you're going to present that as your front-facing channel, yeah. treat it accordingly. Why is it any different to a portfolio? Yeah. You know, why do people want to... I mean, that's that's something now people have to consider. Like you said, it's not just about this slow-down portfolio anymore. 
it's about um, all these facets of it. So that could be the killer thing. You might have the best portfolio, but if someone gets annoyed by your social media channel, they might not look upon you the same. You know? Yeah. Which is an interesting new dynamic. But yeah. That's the, that's the world we're living in now. I'd encourage everyone to build an email list as well. I think that's... Um, gotcha. I've been sloppy with that, but I'm getting there. Um, I've had... There's a guy recently, because I've been putting posts out there through through my own blog, and there's a guy who's just sort of... Yeah, I see him likes the articles on LinkedIn, and and he's just sort of has sat there, I've not really thought anything, but um, he's then written me in response to a post that I sent out last week, and he's saying, oh, I'm going to... This guy's a, a design manager out in San Francisco, and he's saying, oh, yeah, I'll, I'm going to tell all my sort of former university lecturers and, and and a few partners and stuff, and we'd love you to come out and give a talk in L.A. Mm. And just sort of, yeah, just... Even if you think... Because it's very easy to think that the content that you put out there through an email list, that you might think, oh, nobody's seeing it, nobody's engaging with it. Sometimes you will get might get down and think nobody cares mm. but I assure you that if you just keep putting your content out there and making sure that you're adding value to others they're definitely watching they're definitely mm. yeah. definitely reading definitely watching engaging and you'll see you know that people will engage with it over time so true actually there's a guy who I met when I first came to London totally different industry like sports betting industry but they actually commissioned an illustration so anyway I went to see him and they uh, I've met him a handful of times since and sometimes six, eight months might go by between meetings he's always all over the world super busy guy and I met him recently for a bit of food and he just, I had an I said oh you know I've been you know, what, what have you been up to kind of thing and he was like oh I'll keep tabs on your Instagram first of all I didn't even know that he followed me on Instagram secondly I certainly didn't know that he was seeing what I was doing but he told me about X amount of projects that I've been doing recently and I was yeah. like wow people are you know there are creative directors and stuff watching when often it feels like no one's taking any notes yeah. it's not about how many Okay, it's nice to get the likes and stuff like that and the engagement side of it, but there's always a strong percentage of people who just aren't, that they're seeing it, but they're not clicking it, you know? So it's like... Or they'll reveal their engagement with it personally. Yeah. So I've had people who will email me personally or will send me direct messages on LinkedIn. Yeah. Might not necessarily be liking, commenting, engaging, sharing, but they'll do it that personal way. That's it. People like to keep a low profile sometimes on the front end, don't they, and then go to the person direct, which... I've done that before, you know, many a time, especially if it's a, if it's a friend. I, I never feel overly, overly comfortable about having that one-to-one dialogue on, like, the front end of Twitter. You know, I, <laughs> I prefer to then go straight into a message or an email, I'll pick up the phone to them and go, yeah. nice, you know, you've done this, and then take it back to that personal thing. So yeah. that's something to bear in mind as well. <laughs> so what, what kind of, what would you say as far as format of, so an actual portfolio then, like, I mean, are, we, are you still seeing leather, but the old-school leather-bound stuff? I mean, do you think... Or do you think it's gone into a space now where people are more creative with it in terms of iPads and things like that? I think, I personally think digital. Um, I've never had a, a physical portfolio. No. I would always show it digitally. Mm. Um, and I think, my, my reason why is that if you have... I've seen people who print out beautiful portfolios and it costs a lot of money to be printing, you know, something A3, yeah. really nice paper, um, printing that. That might cost you well over £100 to, to print this portfolio. And if you do that, you now have this thing that you're calling your portfolio. Yeah. And I actually take the view that 
there is no such thing really as a portfolio. It's about applications, especially if you're doing it as a PDF. And whether you're changing eight pages or two words, it, you're tailoring it completely to every application. Mm-hmm. And so if you stick to digital, what I used to do is I used to put... Um, if I go for an interview, I'd put today's date at the beginning of the presentation and I'd put the company I'm working for, I'd put their branding at the beginning. Yeah. And even that, just a little personal touch, when I'm going through, it's that portfolio has been designed specifically for that day, to those people, for that business. And I think if you do spend a lot of money on having a physical portfolio you'll just have this one same yeah. thing that you'll take everywhere to everyone yeah. and it yeah. won't be as personal. It doesn't work, is it? Like we said earlier, it's not, not everything pleases everyone. It's like, you have to you have to customise, don't you, and tailor it according to... Yeah, like it has to be fluid, flexible. You have to mm. transform it per meeting. Yeah. That's the thing. I, I've been using my iPad recently. iPad, Google Nexus I've got, but been using the tablet. That's your... Like call an iPad, How yeah. successful is that for a brand when I'm calling them uh, <laughs> by their name? Bastards! They've really got me over a barrel, haven't they, Apple? <laughs> I've got an iPad. Google Nexus. <laughs> but uh, but that's nice because I can, like you say, I can five minutes. I can go and customize a PDF, shuffle yeah. the order, do something specific for that person, and it pays off. Yeah, and it looks quite nice and slick because it's not like pulling out this big archaic thing and putting yeah. it on the desk. It's like. I'm just passing it across to that person while we're having a coffee and they can have a quick flip through touch yeah. screen and all that and it's just nice and nice and easy and it looks yeah. cool and I've got I have got a printed promo book which is like my brand catalogue so to speak and that's just my little leave behind with them so yeah. I'm getting both ticking yeah, off boxes nice. there as a permanent keepsake yeah you know I always write a little personal thank you on the inside of it and things like that and people like that because it's to them yeah recently I've been no, sending like out, I've been sending out physical mails again I've been all old school dropping the numbers but up in the, the personalisation and I've been painting people's first names and you know writing a little handwritten letter on the back, and some of them are sticking it on Instagram, going, "Got this, it's awesome." It's up on my desk now, and it's great. You know, yeah, the, cool. the engagement is just way through the roof. Yeah. From that, as I had Rod Hunt on the show, who's a really popular illustrator, and as he put it, everyone's open in the physical mail. You're getting a near hundred percent open rate, providing it's making it to them. Uh, whereas with an email, you might be spreading yeah. the spam to a degree. So it's again, it's working out what works best for you. Yeah. No right or wrong, but I just think it's nice to. You know, think what's best per person. Like you yeah, said. I think if you have it digital as well, because I wouldn't underestimate the hours and grind it's going to take to get this portfolio to the level you want it. It's hours and hours and hours and hours. And I think if it's digital, you've you can jump on and start improving it and making changes yeah. all the time. I just think having this sort of one almighty portfolio that's yeah. a physical thing. You, it's just a landmark in time, and you yeah. will be yeah. less less bothered about sort of making small changes to it. Mm. When it's digital, you will make those small changes, and it's true. The same way, same way, like the Association of Illustrators I just had on recently. Um, they always done like the Images Book, which was like a big beast of an annual book that goes out to all these clients worldwide, and it's got you can if you get. You have to submit your work basically, and if you get through, you can get a quarter of a page or a full page and things. They've knocked that on the head now. They do a catalogue off the back of the awards, which is like the winners and things. But now they're putting their efforts more into the online portfolios, having discussion and events, and being at conferences and things like that. So it's you know just moving with the times, I suppose. Mm. 
you know, these um, not everyone has time anymore to sit looking through these big books. So that's <laughs> yeah. the reality of it. You know, it's a shame, but uh, that's the way it's moving. So I've, uh, I've, not, I've not been rude. I've been looking for agency wank while we were talking. <laughs> Just to give you a couple of examples, because the archive's still up there. This one starts with, we'll probably never work with each other. It's not your fault. It might be that you're not bold enough, realistic enough, ambitious enough, or you just might not get it. In inverted commas. <laughs> <laughs> so good. There's so many on there. <laughs> In a world full of yapping, neutered, Pomeranian creative directors, Ian is a spike coloured bulldog. Oh my <laughs> God, man. <laughs> These people are for real. Jeez. Oh, God. <laughs> It's all up there. You check it out. It's brilliant. <laughs> Igniting business decisions in a numb world. Oh, God. It's terrible, isn't it? It's awful. <clears throat> God. Oh. Cool. Well, uh, the last bit I always ask my guests is uh, the shark in the tank where I put them on the spot. With a, I ask them for a love and a hate. Very loosely within the creative world, but it can be anything you want it to be. It's a quite open-ended question. Right, always, okay. That always triggers interesting answers. Um, some, people, <coughs> some people's negatives end up becoming real positive it's crazy it's like, people, oh, right, okay. people, most people go oh god you talking about this <laughs> um, i tell you what I do love is working in design I love it when on a Monday you could have absolutely nothing and the pressure's on and you know there's a could be a deadline at the end of the week and there is a a slight nervousness that you're going through the motions of you know trying to come up with it with a concept an idea solving a particular problem and nothing's there on Monday and then on Wednesday there's an idea that a conversation's happened there's been a few interesting debates there's been some drawings and all of a sudden now you feel very confident about the project and you go home on Wednesday and you're absolutely buzzing because you've just generated something Mm. Um, and to go from no idea to an idea is an awesome awesome feeling it's the blank page thing isn't it it's like I do it all the time I get a fresh brief and every time I think I've lost it I think I'm this is the one where I come crashing down like where I just can't produce the goods. <laughs> but all it takes is one nice brush stroke that I like and suddenly this flood in the same way so that this flood of yes, like it's coming, it's something that I know what's yeah. happening, I'm confident again, it is a great buzz, I do love that. And then going home when you know you're in a good place, it's just I, 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 that's a good answer. I get that talk. Yeah. Um and then I hate I think when you when you think you could have done something better and you're not when you know your potential is far greater than what yeah. you've delivered it's a very frustrating mm. feeling yeah. and I hate that when, you, when you've when you not fulfilled your potential yeah and it happens a, doesn't it let's face it like we, we can't be 100% all the time you can you know there, there will be that brief where you don't quite get where you thought it could have gone mm. you look back and it is, it's horrible, because I think we're all perfectionists to a degree, you know, we all want to be amazing all the time, and it's, it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, not fulfilling your potential. <laughs> Makes Nick an angry boy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. And um, so do you, where, where can people check out your stuff? 
Yeah, so nichofdesign.com and then to subscribe to the blog, it's uh, just nichofdesign.com forward slash blog. Nice. I'll stick all that in the show notes as well so we can find you. And uh, cheers for your time. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> nice one, and thanks to Nick Chubb for that. Uh, I love spending an hour with with the guy, and we uh, we always seem to come up with a thousand ideas when we're sat talking together. I was telling him about my um, graphic novel series, The Medium Man, which you can check out at bentallen.com. And he's given me so many good ideas about this bland, bland character that we all know and we all have a little bit of inside us. Uh, so cheers to Nick for that, and thanks to the sponsors as ever, printed.com, Heart Internet, Illustration Limited. Uh, you can find them at printed.com, heartinternet.co.uk, and illustrationweb.com. Go and check them out. Illustration, tech, digital, printed. They're your people. They really look after the show. I've been doing a fantastic job. Uh, in 2016, which we are somehow, once again, ever rapid, finding our way towards the end of, um, yeah, it's been a mad year. The listeners have gone up. Cheers, guys. We're over 30,000 players now on this show, which is pretty cool and worth getting around. New followers all the time. Um, it's It's been an experience. been learning all the time. I like to think the shows are getting better and we're, we're getting you know new guests on all the time, new ideas, new angles. I want to hear from you, so hit us up on the Twitter at Arrests on the Mix. Next week, um, we've got guest number 50 coming up. Yes, and I can reveal to you now, it's going to be the one, the only, Malika Favra. Yes, Malika's awesome. French illustrator working in London, absolutely smashing things to bits. You've got to know about her work, and if you don't, go and find out. AOI Awards winner, World Illustration Awards winner, works with the BAFTAs, works with huge, huge clients with a real unique style, and she's a fascinating character, going to bring you a banger of an episode, so I hope you're looking forward to that. Spread the word, I want big numbers on this one, I want big numbers on them all. So keep telling people about the show, love your support, love people checking in. Hit us up on Twitter, at Rest on the Mix, at Ben Talon, wherever you want. Really loving the dialogue going on between the listeners and myself, because I do this for the real love of it every week. And I forgot at the beginning of the show, the weather is Guinness froth beards and miso soup showers. Yes, I forgot that segment. You can tell I'm still jet lagged a little bit. So there you have it. This week's weather, later than usual. Apologies for that. Um, yeah, <laughs> loving it. Nick Chubb, cheers, mate. Um, enjoyed the show. Malika Favre coming up, episode 50 next week. Thanks to everyone who's got me to this milestone for listening, supporting, sharing, sponsoring. Thank you very, very much. I'm very passionate about this industry. I love doing this show. I love writing. I love broadcasting. I love talking. So keep supporting it. And it means I can do it for free every week. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much. Um, go and subscribe on iTunes if you get a chance. Drop us a review. Soundcloud.com forward slash Arrest on the Mix. Go and share the love. Nice one. Talk to you soon. Yeah.